If everyone uh, would like to open up your Bibles, um, go to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be in a number of different places. We'll start uh, maybe here in Genesis chapter 12. I just want to introduce uh, kind of uh, this series for the next uh, four weeks, like where we're going to be in the Bible and what it's kind of going to look like. This series is called God is Working His Plan. I hope that we can see God so, how God so faithfully worked his plan as we look in the Old Testament, coming to the story of the first coming of Christ. We can see how God so faithfully worked his plan in the past. It'll give us greater confidence that God is working his plan right now. This is my heart. This is my intention. What it's going to look like, kind of the pattern of these messages, we'll be starting in Matthew chapter 1, looking at the, the genealogy Basically, like, here is their name in the genealogy leading to Christ. We're going to take their name and go back and then look at their story in the Old Testament. As we look at their story, I'm just going to each week, let's grab a hold of one truth. There are many other things we could pack, unpack from their story. What's one truth we can grab hold of from their story that we can take hold of today and know that God is still working today? So that is what it's going to look like. We'll take that one point and think, how does it apply to us today? And I, and I pray that as we go through these messages, it can grab hold of our attention as we think on, as we meditate upon, as we praise in the first coming of Jesus Christ. These, these series, these messages are going to have a different feel. They're going to be more topical in a sense, but they're going to be, of course, rooted in Scripture. I... I was thinking, like, what will this feel like? I don't know about in your homes, if as you set up the Christmas tree or Christmas decorations, you start to move furniture around, maybe take some things and put them away and set it up. It's still the same room, but it has a different feel to it. With the Christmas decorations, maybe you reposition couches or chairs. We do that in our house. And my prayer and hope is that just as we kind of stop First Timothy, jump into Matthew, into the Old Testament, the different feel, the different way we're going about it will grab hold of our hearts and it will break any cold routine that we have to celebrating Christmas. And remember that Jesus Christ came, born of a virgin, God in human flesh. And by rearranging, by doing something a little different, it would break the routine and we'd have fresh faith what God wants to teach us in this holiday season. That is my prayer. That is my hope. And in fact, I'm just going to pray before we read uh, the scripture here, if you bow with me. Oh, Lord, may you do that. God, for many of us, whoever, whatever age we are, whatever, how many years, number of us have been Christians, we've been through many Christmas seasons before. And now as we, we head into another one, Lord, I pray that you would break routine. I pray you would bake, break just this, this cold tradition. I pray by your spirit, O Lord, that we would see afresh the wonder of your first coming. And as we see in your word uh, what you did in, this morning in Abraham's life, I pray we would take that truth Oh, Lord, and that we would grab hold of it. That would give us fresh faith, encouragement for today, for the weeks to come. So, Lord, may you do this work in us. 
May you lift up Jesus Christ. May he be exalted. Holy Spirit, may you do this. May you, O God, receive the glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to stand, we'll read Genesis 1 to 7. And in this message, it's interesting. I'm like, where do we start? But we'll start, we'll read this together. We'll be looking at the life of Abraham this morning. Genesis 12, 1 to 7. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abraham took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Mori. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. So I titled this message, God Keeps His Promise. And, and really, like, not keeping it hidden, that's the main point I want you to see, that God keeps his promise, thinking singular when it comes to Abraham, but for all of us, it's God keeps his promises. If you want to turn, just looking at Matthew chapter 1, we'll just kind of be there for a moment, then we'll be back in Genesis as well. So Matthew chapter 1, 1 to 2, the New Testament begins with this first verse, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Even as it, as it begins, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, it's very similar to language found in Genesis 2, 4, Genesis 5, 1. That's really a sense of new beginnings. We also, we know there's, maybe you have a page, the New Testament, there's something new happening here, but even as it uses that language that happens in the Old Testament in Genesis, there's new beginnings happening here. Something new is happening. John MacArthur says this about chapters one and two. Matthew's major purpose in his gospel, the primary purpose of these two chapters is to establish Jesus' right to Israel's kingship. In Matthew's gospel, he chases the genealogy of Jesus through Joseph's line, his adopted father, showing that he's a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of David, the right ruler to the throne. In Luke's gospel, he goes through Mary's line. So if you compare the two, there's going to be differences in names. They're both saying, yes, Jesus is the rightful ruler, the king. Stuart Weber says this, these few words sum up the culmination of the entire Old Testament. And in them are the seeds from which the New Testament plan will grow. The long-awaited promised Messiah, the restorer of God's kingdom, the redeemer of his people, is Jesus himself. This is Matthew's central message, his purpose for writing his book. Do we see that all in the first verse? The book of the genealogies of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So where does it start in verse 2? Abraham was the father of Isaac. 
I, I, so what? A, so we just see like, okay, like yeah, this is how genealogies work. There's the father had a son, the son had a, and it continues on. But we know there's a lot more to that story, and that's where we're going to go today, because it wasn't just like, yeah, Abraham just had Isaac. There's a lot more to his story. We're going to talk about that. So that is how the New Testament starts. It's a significant part of the story of the Bible, right? We all know the story of the Bible. Just to refresh us, if someone's like, hey, what is this book about? And if you could just describe, hey, just in four acts, if you will. Well, first, it's about creation. It's that God spoke everything into existence in six days, and it was good. It was very good. It was pure, it was holy, it was perfect. Creation. But it, we know it didn't stay that way. Then Adam and Eve, they took of the, the fruit they weren't supposed to. They disobeyed God. Sin entered into the world. We call that second act the fall. Brokenness entered in. And so therefore, everyone after was born with like a natural tendency to me, myself, and I, rebellion against God. And this is the, the broken world that we live in, the fall. But God so loved the world, what? That he gave his one and only son, Jesus. He didn't leave us there. The third act, redemption. All the while from the fall, we're going to see there's this promised coming Messiah, someone who's going to redeem. Israel redeemed broken people, restore uh, and put in a right relationship with God. That which has been separated. Sin separates us from God, so that's redemption. And then the fourth one, new creation, which we look forward to. We cannot wait for the day that that will come. But so going back, as we go back into the Old Testament here, I just want to remind you what, what was said kind of right after the fall, right after sin entered. If you were with us for any time when we went through Genesis, I really hammered this point home. Genesis 3, uh, 15. You can turn there. We're just going to be in Genesis for a good chunk of this message. But what was said right after the fall? Genesis 3, 15. God said this to the serpent who deceived Eve. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So there's this promise made to Eve that someone, a descendant from you, an offspring from you, a seed from you, is going to come, and I like to use, he's going to crush the head of the snake. And so there's this promise made right after the fall, and the Old Testament, if you're like, as they list names and, and people who are born, who is going to come? When is he going to come? And when is he going to crush the head of the snake? And so I want to have that in the, in the background, weaving in through these messages as well. So that's the amazing thing, like the, the genealogy of Matthew. It's like it's telling us, well, who's he from? Well, who's his background? Jesus, he, he is the one. Just, just think about this in, in terms of your Christmas songs. I love, I was listening to Joy to the World. And one of the stanzas says this, No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Right? So we, like the destruction, the brokenness that came in Genesis 3, this promise in Genesis 3.15, someone's coming from Eve who's going to crush the head of the snake. He's going to make things right. This is what we celebrate in Jesus' first coming, right? So I want you to see 
All throughout, God is working his plan. I want you to see that big picture. As we look at the Old Testament, right, right after Adam and Eve sinned, God could have, he set things right, but he had a plan before the beginning of time of how it was going to work out. So that's big picture. God's working his plan. Now I want us together, look at the story of Abraham and see how God keeps his promise. If you'll turn again to Genesis chapter 12. Again, this is going to have a different feel. We're going to read a lot of scripture. I just want you to really see this waiting that Abraham had to go through. How God made a promise, but it didn't happen. Like this. So again, we, we read together Genesis 12, 1 to 7. I don't, did you see here, God called Abraham, go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land I will show you. Where was Abraham from? I'm just going to use Abraham as opposed to go back and forth. Abraham, Abraham, I'll get confused. He was from Ur of Chaldees, which is like modern day Iraq, the lower part of the uh, Mesopotamia. And it was a place that just worshipped pagan idols, <laughs> Abraham was a worshiper of pagan idols. And God's like, hey, you, I'm calling you. I just want to point out that's God's grace and his kindness. He wasn't like, oh, Abraham, you're so good, you're so holy. Like, no, you're broken, but I'm calling you. I'm going to use you. And from you, I'm going to bring the Messiah. So he called Abraham. What does he say to him in verses 2 and 3? I want you to note the promises as we read through over and over again. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So these promises made to Abraham. And how old is Abraham? Look at verse 4. He was 75 years old. Just take note of that. He's 75 years old. There's these promises made to him. And also note he has no children. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing to many nations. He's 75 years old. And look, what does Abraham do in response? In verse 7, he builds an altar to the Lord. At the end of verse 8, he calls upon the name of the Lord, builds another altar. He begins to worship. So just, just note that. So promises made to Abraham, he's 75. If we're continuing on, in verse 13, I'm not going to, or chapter 13, I'm not going to read all of it. Lot and Abraham, they go and they separate into the land. And then God appears again to Abraham. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. From all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And so Abraham moved his tents and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which were at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So just notice, the promises are there. They're increasing. God keeps saying again, Abraham's response, he, worshiped, he worships. He builds an altar. He calls upon the name of the Lord. The promise has not yet happened. He's waiting and worshiping. Waiting and worshiping. That's a big theme we could pull out. But think about waiting. Do any of us like waiting? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I didn't like waiting before Amazon Prime was developed. <laughs> right? Like, think about the society that we live in. I can, like, click, click. It's like, why isn't it at the door yet? 
Our internet is so fast that in a phone or what tablet, whatever you're using, if you wait like three seconds, you're like, I don't know, do I gotta reset this? It's crazy how quick everything is coming that we have. So to wait for anything is a struggle. For me, I'm just speaking for myself. I don't know about you, like even as I'm pulling up to a stoplight, I'm like, which line is smaller? Which vehicle's moving faster? Like, God help me. <laughs> but think about the waiting. That's why I'm going to read this scripture. Feel the waiting of Abraham. So again, a second place promises are made. Genesis 15, skipping ahead. Genesis 15, 1 to 3. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Do we see it? Like, is it, is it a doubt that Abraham has, or is he just being realistic? Yes, you're making these promises of my offspring. I don't have any kids. And it worked in, in that society at the time. If they had servants or slaves, that the, kind of like the top servant would be the one to inherit everything if there was not a blood heir. So Abraham's like, oh, it's not happening. He's questioning. Look at God's response in verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars, and if you're able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. Again, that term over and over again, offspring or seed. If you're connected, Genesis 3.15, all throughout. And verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed in faith. He grabbed hold of God's promise, counted it as done when it wasn't. He believed the Lord. Paul in Romans 4 pulls out the theological truth here. You to go and take time and read Romans 4 and sit in that. But he believes God. Again, the promise is reiterated. Time goes on. Time goes on. Look at Genesis 16. Time goes on such to the extent that they're like, hey, they need a human solution. Genesis 16, 1 to 3. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Like it's highlighted. There's this promise being made over and over again. No children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go unto my servant, and maybe that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voices of Sarah. And so after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, this happened, it says. So he would have been 85 at that time. But it was culturally, it was, it was like, okay, hey, the, if the, the woman was not able to bear children, you could actually have them through that servant, and it would kind of like uh, legally count as your heir, as your own child. So they're, they're basically, they're like, okay, we see these promises. We know they're made. They're not happening. Like, God, we have a solution. God, God we, we have a way to move forward. And so even when, when Hagar has the child Ishmael, actually Abraham's 86, so 11 years have passed, and they're like, okay, we haven't yet had a child, so we, we have a way to move forward. All these promises hanging in the air. 
Look at Romans, or sorry, not Romans, Genesis 17, 1 to 7. So we're fast forwarding in time. I'm trying to do it quickly, maybe making you all wait <laughs> where I'm getting to. 17, 1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. That name, God Almighty, Al Shaddai, I don't know about you, anytime you see a new name of God or a different name of God in the Bible, I'll underline it. Do you know Al Shaddai? Do you know God Almighty? Is that your God? Walk before me and be blameless. This is the call to Abraham. This is the call to us. God continues that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Do we still see what's happening? Like what's, what's being said to Abraham? The promises being made. Think about how crazy that is in verse 5. Hey, I'm going to change your name from Abraham to Abraham, the father of a multitude, the father of many nations. How many children does he have through his wife Sarah? None. What a word. Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans 4, 17 picks up on this. I just want to read it for you. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. Paul quoting there in Genesis. In the presence of God who, in whom he believed. Speaking of God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's our God. That's Al Shaddai, God Almighty. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. Gives life to the dead. I love, look at Abraham's response, or Abraham's response, Genesis 17, 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you should not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Changes her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will become nations. Kings of people will come from her. Like, no, no, it's not through Ishmael. It's not through Hagar. It's going to be through Sarah. Look at Abraham's response. I love it. The man of faith. Verse 17. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed. <laughs> like that, that's, he found, look at what he says. And says to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? He just laughs. He's like, that's, he's believing. He's believed. It's been 24 years since the promise is made. And he laughs. So Abraham has a solution. Verse 18, Abraham said to God, oh, that, that Ishmael might live before you. Again, like, hey, Lord, yes, you're making these promises, but yeah, maybe through Ishmael. At this time, if you do the math, Ishmael would have been 13, kind of coming of age in the Jewish society. So hey, let's just go, maybe go through Ishmael. Maybe that will work. God disagrees, verse 19. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Again, in, in Genesis 18, God appears before him again, making, reiterating the same promise. I just want to point this out to you. 
Genesis 18, 13. So when Sarah hears, she laughs. Everyone who hears this is like laughing because of how crazy it is, because of their age. So verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Look at just verse 14, the start. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I need you to underline that in your Bible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We should sit on that. You just sit and meditate and think, can you find something you can disagree with? Is anything too hard for the Lord? We often, in our worries and our anxieties, think of many things. Come toe-to-toe with God. El Shaddai. Is anything too hard for the Lord? But of course, we know, we know how this story works. We know that no, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Genesis 21, 1 to 7. So you, you got a sense of Abraham's waiting, me just reading this story. Right? Like, we're impatient people. Genesis 21, 1 to 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse the children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. It's amazing. And I read it through quickly. It's a miracle. It's a miracle in terms of their age. 100 years old, 90, maybe 91, when she has a child. So how long did Abraham wait? This is for like the younger people. So he was 75 years old when he Got the promise. He was 100 years old when it happened. How many years is that? Someone yell it out. Oh, because I said younger. Everyone's like, I don't know. Am I younger? How, how old? 25, 25 years old. 25 years they had to wait. My kids, they have an advent calendar. You got to wait like 24, 25 days for Christmas. And we're like, man, how can we speed this thing up? Think any Canadian... NHL hockey fans, you guys know about that length of waiting and more, right? Like no one's won a cup in Canada since 93. So there's like years have went by, years. So it's not just like, man, I can't wait till I get this thing. It's going to be a month. It's going to be your 25 years. How, like I can't really fully capture the length of time, but I want you to see Abraham waited 25 years, yet God was faithful. God, God is working his plan here. When I, God is working his plan, like the promise made in Genesis 3.15, someone's going to come. Hey, he's like, from Abraham, I'm going to bring Isaac, and we're going to work down the line. Eventually, he's like, I'm going to bring the Messiah, the one who's going to set things right. God is working his plan here, but the big truth, again, I want you to see, God keeps his promise. He kept it to Abraham, Right? So I just want to just pull that truth out here for a second. Reiterate, God keeps his promise. Numbers 23, 19. Numbers 23, 19. Just a few books turning in your Bible. 
This is written. Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and he, will he not fulfill it? Like take that truth to heart. God keeps his promise and he does not change his mind like us. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Wayne Grudem, in his book, Bible Doctrine, says this, God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. And I just want to, just like to really nail this truth in our hearts and in our minds, I just want to read this lengthy quote from a guy, A.W. Pink. I mentioned him before, if you want you want something to read with your Bible reading, read A.W. Pink, Attributes of God. You can get a free PDF. You can read just a few sentences and sit in it. But he says this, speaking about how God does not change. Here is solid comfort. Human nature cannot be relied upon, but God can. However unstable I may be, however fickle my friends may prove, God changes not. If he varied as we do, if he willed one thing today and another tomorrow, if he were controlled by caprice, who could confide in him? But he is ever the same. His purpose is fixed. His will stable. His word is sure. Here then is a rock on which we may fix our feet. While the mighty torrent sweeps away everything around us, the permanence of God's character guarantees the fulfillment of his promises. So do we see this truth about God? that God keeps his promises. We see this, we're like, amen, that is what we're talking about. But now I want to talk about how God keeps his promises today. So we looked in the Old Testament, we saw that truth, we've grabbed hold of it. This is a truth about who God is. God keeps his promises today. Like, think about how significant this is. I would encourage you, I just keep saying, like, write in your Bible, when you see a promise from God, like underline that. If God always keeps his promise, like make sure sometimes there's promises that are just to Israel. You're, okay, who, who's, who's the promise to? Who is he talking to? But you see a promise in the Bible, write it down. I'm just going to think through like what promises can I bring before you? I'm just going to give you three I don't know if three is a biblical number or what. I don't know. In preachers, we just think in, in threes. Someday I need to go four or two. But I'm like, I need to give three. Three points. I don't know why. So I just want you to see three ways in which God keeps his promises today. The first one I want you to see, the promise of salvation. You can turn with me to Romans uh, chapter 10, 11 to 13, the promise of salvation. God keeps his promises Actually, I'll start there in verse 9. Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Again, speaking of, if we're looking at the Old Testament, the Messiah came, right? We know he was born of a virgin. We know he grew up and we know he died on a Roman cross to pay for our sins and our shame. And anyone who believes in him, puts their faith in him, will be saved. Look at verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him 
will not be put to shame. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I see promises here. I see promises from God that anyone who would be hearing this and say, okay, is that for me? The brokenness that I have in my life. I, I see everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In verse 11, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Friends, if you're here with us and if you see your brokenness, if you see your sin before a holy and righteous God and you're like, man, I, I don't know, I, I can't do it. Yes, you can't do it. You can only call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And if you believe in him, if you call upon his name, as the scripture says, you will be saved. You'll be saved from your sin, saved from your shame, saved from your brokenness. And how do we know this to be true? Because the word of God says it and God keeps his promises. God keeps all his promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's yes in Christ Jesus. So just think about this. In this week to come, if you have opportunity to share your faith with someone or to share a little bit about what God's doing in your life, can you point to them that God keeps his promises? And one of his promises is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is God still working his plan? You can pray for people according to this promise here found in Romans. You can pray for, for loved ones who don't know the Lord, oh, that they would call upon your name, that you'd bring them to their knees, a place that they would see that you are the only one who saves, and they would call out to you. You would hear and save them. So we can pray according to this promise found in Scripture. I want to bring you a, another promise here in the Bible, a promise of grace and trials. If you look at me with, at 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 14. And again, you could go like so many different places in Scripture, what promises that God has for us and hold on to and be encouraged by. I want you to see that there's a promise of grace and trials. 1 Corinthians 10, we'll start in verse 12 here in just a second. Paul writes this whole list of Israel, how they'd sinned in the past, how they'd fallen away, how they didn't trust in God. And then he says this in verse 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Like there's not some special circumstance that you're, go that you're going through that's different than what others have faced. And what does it say? God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Leon Morris says this, the imagery is that of an army trapped in rugged country, which manages to escape from an impossible situation through a mountain pass. The assurance of this verse is a permanent comfort and strength to believers. Our trust is in the faithfulness of God. I love that. No temptation has taken you what is not common to man. God is faithful. Friends, God will give us more than we can take. God will give us more than we can take. Why? So we'll turn to him. So we'll trust in him. Right? If God is like, no, no, I'm only going to give you that which you can take, you can say, I got this. Whatever I'm facing, I can carry me through. No, God gives us way more than we can take. So we fall to our knees and we're like, Lord, we're crying out, help me get through this. And I see here a promise that he will. Why? Because God is faithful. 
What does it say to you at the end that you may be able to endure it, to go through the trial, to go through the temptation without sinning, turning to him, trusting in him? I see here, even in this promise, it's a call to continue to abide in Christ. Through prayer, through his word, through being led by the spirit of God, continue trusting, continue, Lord, allow me to just, you are enough. Your grace is sufficient. And I think you can get me through this trial or this temptation because, because of you, because you're El Shaddai, you are faithful. Friends, if you're hearing this today, if you're going through a trial right now, just I want to keep saying, I hope you can hear, God keeps his promises. God is faithful. He is with you. He has promised he'll never leave or forsake you. Trust his promise here. Our confidence is in him. Friends, if, if you see the state of the world, you, you see where our culture seems to be going, you see world leaders grabbing power and control, do you think this verse could give an encouragement? Is God still working his plan? Whatever else is happening, can we trust that God is faithful, he's on his throne, and he's working his plan? God keeps his promises. And lastly, I just want to bring before your attention the promise of God finishing his work in us. If you turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24, Often we can read this scripture at the end of a service as a benediction. It's like it's just, it's such a good thing to hear. We need to keep hearing. I want to bring before you again, there's a promise of God finishing his work in us. Verse 23 and 24 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, what a promise. What a promise. May he sanctify you completely. May he make you completely holy. May you be blameless and upright. No stain. Perfect in his sight. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. When at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he returns. And, and why will he do this? Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I love that he who call you, calls you is faithful, he will surely do it again. This is a promise for believers. Those who love the Lord, love the church, convicted of sin, have God's spirit within them. That if he's begun a work in you, he will finish it. He will complete it. I read this, I'm so encouraged. I don't know about you, you know, I, I, my own life, and I read this, and it's just like, oh, Lord. I know, I know I'm not there. <laughs> I know I'm not there, not even close. But I see this and it's encouraging. I'm like, I, we can use this as a prayer. Lord, do that in me. Lord, sanctify, sanctify my life, sanctify my mind. My desires. We have this promise here to keep going, keep praying, keep praising him. We use this as a prayer back to God. I'm just gonna read to you. 1 John 5.14, saying the same thing. I'll come back to 1 Thessalonians. John wrote this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, towards God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
That's when you pray scripture, you're praying God's will. When you pray scripture, right? Like, and again, who's the promise for? It's for believers. If you're a believer, you've been born again, and you see this, you're like, okay, yes, God will sanctify me completely. When? It'll happen at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's anticipation of the day that Jesus will return. But this promise, wherever you're at, that you don't trust your feelings. You don't trust how the day is going. Our politicians, you don't trust the feel-good time of Christmas, but you trust in God who does not change because God keeps his promises. I hope you can see this. I hope you can take this to heart. God who keeps his promises, God who kept his promise to Abraham, Isaac was born. God who will, who will keep we will keep seeing in the weeks to come as we work through these messages, looking back in the Old Testament, he works his plan to bring about the Messiah. And I hope we'll continue to see that God is working now in our lives, in our homes, in our communities. In a moment, we're, we're going to respond in song. I actually, I often like to finish with this song because I think it's the right response time and time again. And actually, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer to finish this message. And as I do, I just pray, like, do you trust God's promises? I'm just here as a servant myself. I'm like, Lord, help me to trust God's promises. Help me as I read God's word to grab a hold of that. Like, whatever else, okay, why do you spend so much time, Abraham and Isaac? Forget that. If we get that truth, God is faithful to his promise, to his promises. And as we're reading scripture, we start to grab hold of that. Praise the Lord. So I pray in a moment, even as we sing, that that would be a prayer response to God. If you just close with me, I'd like to close this time in prayer. Oh, Lord, I pray you give me eyes to see. Give me faith to trust your promises, to trust you more. I pray for each one of us, oh, Lord, that we'd have greater faith, a greater trust in you. Lord, whatever we're seeing, whatever's going on in our lives, I pray that these promises we even looked at, Lord, would comfort some, would encourage some, Lord. I pray that those who do not know you, who are here with us, Lord, they would hear by your spirit your call to trust, to call upon the name of the Lord, and that they be saved. Lord, seal the word in our hearts that's from you, I pray. Whichever is, whatever is from me that I brought to the table, Lord, may it fall to the side. May we forget. Lord, even as we, as we sing this song of response, I just pray you be at work in our hearts. Give us faith to believe and to trust you more. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.